0: It says, the meek shall inherit the earth. This is the third of the Beatitudes, third of nine. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What we ought to, in fact we must continue to note, is that these principles that Jesus teaches are of a spiritual condition. Rather, than a physical world one. We need to remember that with everyone with you, that they're not speaking of a physical condition, ultimately, but a spiritual one. But of course, the evidences of such spiritual conditions will be seen in the physical lives of the believer. They will be seen. But we must concede that no one simply becomes poor in spirit. We don't just become those who mourn. We don't become a person who is viewed as being meek. To do that in a natural sense, for us to just become that person is impossible. It won't happen. The world is at odds with the attitudes that we see here. They are actually exact opposites. To be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, that is to be a Christian, that's what it is. What we read here in these few verses is Jesus explaining the condition of a Christian. They are the marks of a true Christian and they can only be found in their real form within the believer. It is a work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit upon the hearts and minds of every believer. This is not, as I repeat, something that we can suddenly choose to be. It is a work of God upon those who he has called. Remember also to keep in your mind the true nature of Jesus kingdom. See Jesus said didn't he in uh, Matthew 3 after he had been Matthew 4 sorry it is after he had been tempted he came out after being tempted by the devil and immediately he preached but what did he preach he preached the kingdom the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's Matthew 3, I think, that John the Baptist preaches the same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what is the true nature of this kingdom? He says in John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And when they came to arrest Jesus, what did they want to do? In one of the accounts, Peter, I believe it was, drew his sword. And he ended up lopping off the ear of Malchus. Jesus said, put away your sword, for those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That's what people wanted. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. So these Jews were awaiting their Messiah. They were. There was a military element. We've looked at this already, to their hopes and their expectations. They wanted a military man, a powerful man. One who was going to deliver them from the the rule of Rome. Their bondage. They wanted this person to come and release them, to give them back their independence. This Jesus came along and he preached a different kingdom to the one that they expected. This was a kingdom preached that was not of this world. Jesus' greatest concern wasn't for the independence of the physical nation. for the spiritual kingdom of all the saints that they wanted their physical nation to be redeemed to be released from the tyranny that Rome was oppressing them with so it is this kingdom that Jesus came to preach the spiritual kingdom, the one not of this world to which the condition and attitude of the Beatitudes belong and they oppose the disposition of the unbelieving world. If you read through these beatitudes, and you look at the world view of such things, they clash. Absolutely. So blessed, it says, are the meek. Now you probably know this, but it's said of Moses that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth at his time. So how are we to view this meekness? Well I think it's important that we must first view how the world views meekness and how actually that it views it wrongly. With regards to spiritual mourning, being broken and to grieve over our own sin, and not just our own sin but sin in every way, sin uh, in the church, sin in the nation. That philosophy of the world is completely opposite to that. You have seen that in the last two messages. The world's message is to be happy. Be and do whatever makes you happy. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's the message, that's the philosophy of the world. If you're happy, who cares what anybody else thinks? Surely your happiness is is what it's all about. Live if you're alive and you're happy. Is that not life indeed? That's the world's philosophy. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is the way a lot of people in this world live. I'm here now, here today, gone tomorrow. I'll enjoy it while I'm here. Make the best of it. But you see, it's the same with meekness. The world associates meekness with weakness. Society encourages, portrays, presses forward strength and power. Self-promotion. Self-identity. Self-expression. Even to the point... Of aggressiveness. We've got to go after these things with with aggression. We're going to take it by by the throat and we're going to have it. We're going to make it. We're going to make something of ourselves. And it doesn't matter who we tread on to get there. As long as we succeed. As Lloyd-Jones states, the more you assert yourself and express yourself, The more you organise and manifest your powers and ability, the more likely you are to succeed and get on. That's the view of the world. So the idea of success to the world is conquest and possession. Go after it with all your might. Whatever it is that you want, focus on it, go after it and possess it. Those of us who may be a little wiser may think, what then? I saw a a thing on Facebook, I may have mentioned it previously, but there's a little cartoon strip, if you like, of a young man who is running across the ground collecting bits of money. You may have seen it yourself. And the next one is the, the bundle in his arms got a little bit bigger and he's older. And then at the end, he's got so much that he can barely carry it and he's an old man suddenly he comes to the end of a cliff and it says the end and so all he'd done was just go after his money make his pile bigger and he aged as he went along and all of a sudden that's it he's got this great big pile of money and his life's over so conquest and possession, what then? the end, what's it all for? that's the way of the world enjoy it while you can Because this world is a very materialistic world. And the one who has riches will more likely be seen as a great deal more successful than the one who manages month to month on a basic wage. Somebody comes who is rich, the world will say, this guy's made something of himself. But maybe another guy who's maybe happier Who lives in some senses hand to mouth from month to month. But has a happy family. Spends time with his family. Has a great family life. Who's more successful? But the way of the world you see. Is the person who is the richest with the most possession. Would say oh this guy he's got it he's done it. That's the way we ought to go. Listen to what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. Because this kind of attitude that the rich are successful is very shallow, very superficial. In fact, I believe it's a false view. I know there are many people in the year that are happy and joyful that aren't rich. So he says, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in verse 17, he talks in verse 16 about spitting them out the mouth, being lukewarm. He says, because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. This was the church he was talking to. A church that had had even um, turned away the state's help to, to rebuild after such disaster had happened there because they didn't need it. They were rich, so they had everything they ever wanted. And these people thought, we've got it. We're rich, we don't need anything. God's blessed us. But he calls them wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked because their view was so wrong. Let's return to Moses. Here is a man who once tried to prove that he was the great deliverer of Israel. And he did it by his own ingenuity, perhaps even due to the position that he held in Egypt as he was taken under the wing of the daughter of Pharaoh at the time. He was have been brought up in the palace maybe. This conquest of Moses at this time ended in murder and Moses fleeing for his life. And for over 40 years, God humbles Moses so much that when it came the time for God to call him to actually go to Pharaoh, it wasn't wrong about his calling. It was wrong in the way he went about it. But when it came for that time to come, he tried to get God to send someone else. He didn't want to go, he had no confidence in himself. Or his ability. He desired God to send someone else who had a greater gift. Somebody that could speak better than he could speak. Yet if you look in Acts 7 where Stephen is talking about him. He says that he was mighty indeed in speech. But here he's saying, I I, I, I stutter, I can't even speak. Surely, surely there's somebody better than me that can go. Oh Lord, send someone else. Please. This same man who went to try and redeem Israel 40 years previously by his own power and his his own right arm. When he did go, the people moaned and groaned against him, even his own brother and sister. Did he defend himself? Did he seek vengeance? No. No even when God threatened to destroy the people, promising to make a great nation of him, Moses. What did he do? Oh Lord, don't destroy them. He interceded on behalf of the people. In fact, he did this more than once. He constantly got on his face, and interceded on behalf of the people that were slandering him, moaning against him constantly throughout this period. What about David, who was a man anointed to be king by Samuel, the prophet, 15 years before it came to fruition? David made no boast about this. Even serving Saul well, during this time. Remember playing his harp. Dodging the spears that ended up in the wall. And so when Saul had been rejected. And an evil spirit messed with his mind. Causing him to hate. And to constantly and continually try to kill David. David never took revenge. Twice. Twice. Saul was at the mercy of David and his followers. Once in the cave, and another time when Saul and his company were asleep in their camp. David had the opportunity to kill Saul and to end this immoral and baseless hunt. But he wouldn't do it. We shall not touch God's anointed. He is God's anointed king. He's not going to die by my hand. No matter what he does. He left the outcome in the hands of the Lord that he served. Let's have a a look in the New Testament we can mention Paul. Who was a man with perhaps one of the greatest minds that's ever graced this planet. A man of incredible intellect and a tremendously strong character. But what did Paul say about his past, about all his learning, about all his knowledge, about everywhere that he'd been, everything that he'd done previously to that day on the road to Damascus when he cried out, Lord, what will you have me do? What did he say about it? I count all that as done as rubbish. And he approached the people with the message of Christ and him crucified, rather than his own intellectual power or words of wisdom. And he could have done it. He could have beat every one of us hands down with an argument intellectually about the scriptures. But he didn't do it. I came trembling with fear before you. Preaching Christ and him crucified. So that it might be demonstrated in the power of God rather than the power of man. You know, People say that they can be convinced into something. Paul may have been able to convince somebody that Christ was the Messiah. But to convince somebody isn't enough. Because if you can be convinced into something, someone else can just as easily convince you out of it. It needs to be a work of God upon the soul. You see, Paul boasted in Jesus Christ, not in his own ability. He took no pains to vindicate himself against all those who treated him badly. And what it is, if you look at this very short letter. Of Philemon. He even asked Philemon in this letter that any wrong caused or debts owed by Philemon, the slave, he asked that any debt owed to him would be added to his own account. And of course, The greatest example and the most excellent example, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the only one who could truly speak of his own meekness and humility, without there being even one drop of falseness. I remember once somebody chiding me very gently, talking about humility, and I said, "Well, I think I think I'm quite humble." he said to me, looked at me quite, quite sternly, and he said, Russ, you just proved that you're not. <laughs> and I had to think about that one. But Jesus Christ, you see, he's the only person who can turn around and say, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's the only one who can truly say that about himself. Because he is, not was, but is truly gentle and lowly in heart. He is, as it was said. Of Moses. If Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth at his time, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Son of God, in whom there is no sin, is the absolute example, the epitome of meekness. There is no greater example than him. The way he dealt and spoke with people, the mercy he had on sinners. The compassion for the lost, wandering sheep. All these people that were following him. And he, the times he said, I have compassion on these people. We need we need to feed them. We need to give them something. The way he remained quiet as he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And how he made no defense for himself as he was accused of blasphemy before the council. The only time they he responded was when they asked him if he was the son of God or the the king. It is as you say. But when they accused him, he took upon himself. And he spoke nothing. What about how, as the almighty God, in human flesh, stood and received blows from fists, the agonising plucking of his beard, the flogging of his body, which was left in one big bloody mess. How he was mocked by the soldiers who crowned him with sharp thorns. And how we're told in Philippians 2, 5-8, to 8, of Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And in Luke 23 34, and who whilst on the cross cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do? I wonder. If I were under such subjection, somebody is beating me mercilessly on the streets for preaching the gospel, am I going to, in the midst of pummeling by feet and hands, fists, clubs, whatever, am I going to, like Jesus, like Stephen, Father, forgive me? They don't know what they do. What an attitude to have towards the wicked people who were crucifying him. So what then is weakness? Well firstly, it has nothing at all to do with weakness. Can we say Moses, who faced down the king of Egypt demanding the release of his brethren and led an entire group Out in a mass exodus, can we call that weak? Is that weakness? And yet he was called the meekest man on the face of the earth. What about David, who faced the giant Goliath, killing him as a young shepherd boy, and who was a mighty warrior king in battle? Is he weak? And does anything really need to be said of the captain of our salvation, the son of the living God, king of kings, who gave his life as a ransom for many, from whom all true life and strength comes? Will anybody dare say that he is weak? And yet, the meekest person that has ever set foot on this planet. Neither is meekness being a general, all-round, laid-back, nice person who doesn't put themselves in the limelight. This can be a natural disposition. Having a nice nature that simply doesn't like to be the centre of attention. One can be the nicest, the quietest, the least self-absorbed person in the group. One who would only be too happy to let someone else have that last cream cake on the plate. And yet be a complete rejector of Christ and all that is holy. It is true, isn't it? You may know people like that yourself. The last to put themselves forward. And yet they hate God. See, this is merely a natural personality trait. We can't achieve meekness by ourselves. You're not born with true spiritual meekness. You're not born with true poorness of spirit. You're not born to mourn spiritually. Neither is it shyness. It's not being introverted or or reserved or even lacking in confidence. That's not what meekness means. See, with these first two Beatitudes, the poor in spirit and those who mourn, we're dealing with ourselves on a personal level. We see the true reality of our own nature, our sinfulness. We become aware of the utter helplessness due to indwelling sin within us and seeing that sin, even seeing the sin in our best thoughts and deeds. We mourn over it. We realise we cannot mourn unless we are poor in spirit. And so a person cannot be meek without the first two being already at work. Meekness goes even further than the first two. Hence the proper order. He doesn't say these beatitudes willy nilly, they're in an order for a purpose. Meekness looks more. At our reaction to others, rather than our own view of ourselves. I can see my own sin, I can see my own unworthiness, my own helplessness. I'm aware of my inward sinfulness, my pride and evil, and to some degree, with the work of God upon me, I'm willing to face it. But let me quote Lloyd-Jones again. How much more difficult is it to allow other people to say things like that about me? I instinctively resent it. We all of us prefer to condemn ourselves than to allow someone else to condemn us. I say of myself that I am a sinner, but instinctively I do not like anyone else to say that I am a sinner. That is the principle that is introduced at this point. So far I myself have been looking at myself. Now other people are looking at me and I am in a relationship to them. And they are doing certain things to me. How do I react to that? That is the matter which is dealt with at this point. I think you will agree that this is more humbling and more humiliating than everything that has gone before. It is to allow other people to put the searchlight upon me instead of doing it myself. That's what's inclusive in meekness. What is somebody going to say about me and how am I going to react to it? I can condemn myself, but what about when someone else condemns me? What's my reaction going to be? See, all Christians, every one of us, we're meant to be meek. Not some, but all. We're all to imitate Christ. We're all to be conformed to his image. Meekness is having a true view. Or a right opinion of ourselves. And then due to that right opinion, we express ourselves with the right attitude and, uh, and conduct towards others. It starts with how I view myself and is followed in my attitude towards others. The world tells us to achieve and to be proud of ourselves. But a meek person is not boastful. And a meek person is not proud of himself. He does not seek to get glory for himself in anything that he does or in anything that he has. The world also says we should claim everything that we can. There is, in in this day and age, perhaps maybe before, but there's an attitude that's shed abroad that seems to say the world owes me a favour. I deserve this. Surely I am, uh, you know, that's mine. I should be allowed to have that. That's mine. I ought to claim what I can get. Everything that I can get, I'm going to get it. The meek do not take all their rights as claims. Jesus made himself of no reputation. And he laid aside his privileges. his deity as some are blasphemously saying jesus did not lay aside his deity he laid aside his privileges and he took on himself the form of a servant and those who are meek do likewise yet unlike christ who was and is worthy of glory honor and adoration and has such reputation we have none we don't have the reputation that the lord jesus said the meek have finished with self which means self pity groaning about how hard to how hard done to we are how unkind people are to us how badly we've been treated The truth is that the meek do not think very much about themselves at all. Truly meek people don't think much of themselves. Allow me to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones once more. John Bunyan puts it perfectly when he said, he that is down need fear no fall. If you're already on the floor, how are you going to fear a fall? When a man truly sees himself he knows nobody can say anything about him that is too bad you need not worry about what men say or do you know you deserve it all and more once again therefore i would define meekness meekness like this the man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that god and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do that it seems to me is its essential quality so when we realize such as this our own attitude and our behavior towards other people changes if we realize what we are and we look at someone else and see just the same our attitude changes the meek person is a mild person and that's just as Jesus speaks himself He is one that is approachable, one of a quiet spirit, one that displays long-suffering and patience. Look at Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. That is what a meek person is. The meek suffer. And listen to this, friends. The meek suffer even wrongly, without thoughts or plans for retaliation or vengeance. sit there planning how to get back at people because they've hurt us, that's not meekness. The meek are content to leave the issue of vengeance with the Lord for it is his and only he is the righteous one in it. The meek do not hold themselves nor their abilities in high esteem and so they are teachable ready to listen, ready to learn at any opportunity. The meek are truly humble, lowly in heart, entirely dependent upon God for everything, and are kind, loving, and patient towards other people. That's what it is to be meek. Nothing to do with weakness, is it? Some are the most powerful people have been the meekest then it says this the meek shall inherit the earth in what way do the meek inherit the earth we know that in an earthly world mankind in every generation has sought to be rulers of the world men love power and in some cases, they'll do anything to attain it and resort to any and every extreme in wickedness to keep it. Is not the President of the United States called the most powerful man on earth? But Peter, in his second epistle, says this, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with firm heat, Than this current earth in which we live. For this, or on this earth, we might say, there is no real peace nor rest. And it is the eternal rest which God gives to those who put their trust in Him. So the promise is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth after this burning up and being heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ all those things all those kinds of people described in the Beatitudes will inherit this new earth you see all the people that aren't like this they won't be there that's the kind of inheritance that you can look forward to the scriptures are a mirror a mirror to our souls and they reveal to us whether or not we are what they say. Whether we profess Christ and are poor in spirit, whether we are those who mourn and those who are meek, for all of Christ's own should be growing in sanctification. Growing in these graces and if we're not then we ought to turn to the living God and repent. For our great lack. And we ought to ask him to change us and make us the kind of people that Jesus speaks of in these verses. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father God we give you great thanks for your word. How often have we read these beatitudes how often have we read them how used to hearing them are we lord as phil already read earlier the scripture in 2 corinthians 13:5 that we ought to examine ourselves so am, am i a person that is poor in spirit do i truly know what i am who i am my sin my great need of god am i poor in that sense Am I a man that mourns over his sin or do I revel in it and care very little about the sin in my heart and mind? And am I a meek person? Like we've studied this evening. Our oh Lord, cause us to examine ourselves. Oh Lord, we can, can always be more of this type of person. And we will go on from one degree of sanctification to another by the power of your holy spirit and we will never attain that what we ought to be while we're on this earth we thank you lord that we are not by your grace what we once was and we're not what we ought to be but lord we're on that journey and we ask you then lord god to make us these kind of people make us poor in spirit make us those who mourn and make us lord Those of a meek, gentle, lowly spirit. But we need your help, Lord God, to be this. For these are the spiritual nature. And are not something we have, naturally. Have mercy upon us, we pray. And Lord, again as I always ask you. Make us, the men and the women. That we ought to be in this generation lord glorify your name through our lives we pray and in that glory work in us for the better lord in jesus name we pray amen, amen.